0: Well, thank you, Miles, for telling that story, because I wasn't planning on getting emotional till the end, but I was sitting in my seat just thinking back to that moment. It's it's cool to me to hear from Miles the details about that he remembers about that situation, because as soon as he started talking, I'm like, I can put myself right back in that situation. And so it's just powerful. That got me fired up. Yes, I work with our high school and middle school students, but most of my volunteers are college students, and so I love talking to, I love seeing the just droves of freshmen that walk in. And so I'm excited about this year. And here's the cool thing, is Miles pointing, is pointing back to that moment seven years ago. That doesn't even feel real that it was seven years ago. But he's pointing back to that moment of when I got impacted by this church. And the coolest Thing, and it ties in right with this verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the thing about the church that has not changed is that heart of desperation. Like we come together, we do these things the best of our ability, but it does not matter unless the Holy Spirit meets us here. And honestly, that's my favorite thing about Miles. Geography, he's a little weak on, sports teams, not sure about. But all of that aside, all of those things aside, he is desperate to obey what he feels like the Lord's calling him to. And so when he steps on the stage, sometimes he offends us, but he's following what the Holy Spirit says. He makes decisions with wise counsel and he's listening to people. So I'm honored to follow him and honored to be here on the stage because I truthfully believe, yes, I prepared and, and I've studied the scripture we're going to go through, but it doesn't matter unless the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and speaks through me. And so would you just lean in with me because I'm excited for this morning. And I'm excited that uh, the fall's coming. I... Have been pushing back against this for a little while. Like I said, it doesn't feel real that seven years ago I was a freshman in college. I, at different points, have been like, okay, yes, I'm technically an adult. I know I'm married and have a kid right now, but I really need to like (laughs) lean into, I hang out with college students and middle school school students all the time, so I feel like the oldest one in the room, but I don't really want to admit that I'm fully an adult. Well, I had a moment this week where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely an adult now. And that moment was the moment that I realized for the first time in my entire life, I was excited that school was starting. (laughs) For the first summer ever, I was like, Oh man, summer's been fun, but it's hot and I am pumped up about what's happening this fall. So students, I'm sorry. Teachers, I'm sorry. I know there's a little bit of excitement and a little bit of dread coming. We got schools starting back, but I'm fired up for what we have this fall. Students, we've got weight coming back. We've got college students coming back. It's just going to be awesome this year. And so I'm pumped up to see what the Lord does. Like Miles said, I'm married, I have a nine-month-old who's amazing um, and terrifying. He has, he has reached the point where I'm like, oh, okay, we have been keeping you alive for the past nine months, but it's about to turn into like we actually have to parent you, and that's a little intimidating. Um, he's moving around, crawling, loves electrical outlets, all the dangerous things, and so uh, it's going to be awesome, but we're going to jump right in. If you have your Bible, hold it up for me, hold it up. We'll leave the uh, Bible drill for singles later. We're gonna do a little something different. I'm thinking about sports, so let's just do this. If you are like, honestly, I don't really care about football or other sports, no shame in that. Go ahead and put your Bibles down. I am shaming some people, but it's not you today. And now I'm just gonna do three teams specifically. If you are a Georgia fan, please put your Bible down. Everybody stare at Gage. Everybody stare at Gage, put his Bible down. All right, if you're a fan of any other team other than Alabama or Auburn, put your Bible down. I'm, I'm not going to specifically call you out. And now if you're a Bama fan, put your Bible down. If you're an Auburn fan, keep it up. Okay, honestly, I thought it was going to be a little more of a split there. All right, Auburn fans, let's put our Bibles down. I'm just curious. I thought we had a little more of a split. Go ahead and flip to First Peter 4. First Peter 4. So, Like Miles said, we've been in a series where we're going through 1 Peter called Built Different. And so the idea of this letter is Peter is writing to the scattered church early on and saying, hey, you should stand out in the world that you're in. You should look different. We should be built up different by the things that we do here, the worship, the actions that we take. And so Gage last week was, I mean, gave such tangible takeaways as he was reading through the passage, which I love. He gave us three attitudes and three actions. He was talking about reclaiming passion, something that um, if you know me, that really fires me up. I'm a pretty passionate person. Gage is amazing at telling stories. And so I'm excited to pick up right after that. Um, And we're going to start in verse 12. Verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch, great word, as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So when Miles told me the verses I was preaching on, I was kind of confused because I was like, my understanding was the youth pastor got the kind of easy ones, the fun ones, the like knock it out of the park ones. Instead, we're talking about suffering. Last time I preached, I talked on humility, which was really fun because that following week, right after I preached that, God was like, here you go, buddy. Here's like 20 opportunities to practice what you preached. And so I'm a little nervous to talk about suffering, but we're going to jump in uh, right at the beginning. So if you're a note taker, we'll just pull right from the scriptures right there. The title of this sermon is going to be Bear the Name, Bear the Name. So a key part of this letter as we've been reading through it is this is this is a family conversation. This is written for the church, for the body of believers, the visible image of Christ on earth. And so if you're here and you're like, I'm asking questions, I don't really know if I'm part of even the big C church, much less this church. I honestly don't know how I feel about Christ in general. You are so welcome to be here, but a lot of the things I'm talking about can be for you, but don't apply right now. But here's this is the place that we want you. This is the place that you should come to ask questions. So you're welcome here, even though this letter might be written a little more specifically to Christians. So right off the top, when we talk about suffering, I think if you grew up in the Bible Belt, we're kind of all thinking the same thing as we're reading this. Oh yeah, Peter's talking to the people who were getting persecuted. They were in Rome and and they were getting killed for their faith and all these different things. And so while that's true, we need to have a moment where we stop and contextualize this for us right now. Because scripture is living and active and so it applies to us now. Even though, yes, Peter wrote this letter to specific people 2,000 years ago. And so we have to understand the context that it was written and why it was written, all of those things, but we also need to start to understand, and that's what I believe is happening in this moment, start to understand what is the Spirit of God showing us in this. So when we talk about suffering, a lot of people actually talk about and write about when Peter was writing this, it was not illegal in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. That came shortly after he wrote this, actually, where you could get charged just by admitting that you were a Christian, you could get charged For death, just by admitting that. But at this time, think about the book of Acts. Think about every story of persecution in the book of Acts, right? They walked in freely into the towns. They were like, hey, here's this new thing. Paul's walking in places. Peter and John are proclaiming the gospel. And then what happens is when people's power or money or position or honestly just comfort and what they know is threatened, that's when persecution starts to break out. And so Peter uses this really weird phrase, right? He says, fiery ordeal is what this translation says. And I was like, that's a super strange word. And, and I looked it up. It's only used in a couple places in scripture, but he's he's getting at this idea of don't be shocked when trials of life happen. Don't be shocked when you're you're tested by things that happen in your life. So yes, Peter's talking about persecution. He's talking about when people were insulted, we see that word and we're like, okay, that's a little bit more low key than being killed for being a Christian. Don't be, don't be ashamed when you're insulted for being a Christian. So Peter's getting at this idea that suffering is any deviation from God's original design. You can write that down. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Suffering is any deviation, any shift, any little offshoot from God's original design. So when we think about this in, in our context, right, we're not getting killed for being Christians, There are people and countries in this world that we should pray for and support who are in that situation. That's what their fiery trial is. But where we are right now, that's not what we're facing. But what we are facing is the things that come up in life. So we can think of the more, shall we say, challenging situations that we all immediately think about if we talk about suffering, a a cancer diagnosis or a sudden death or financial instability that was completely out of your control like all of these really hard things. But we can also talk about any deviation from God's original design. He didn't design our bodies to get sick. He didn't design our bodies to get injured. He didn't design us to wake up with headaches, like any of those things. He didn't design us to be in tension and conflict with one another. He didn't design us to divide ourselves based on race or gender or any of those things. And so any of these small little things that we face in our life, yes, we should be sober-minded in how we think about them. Suffering for a middle schooler is totally different than suffering for an adult, and that's okay. Maverick, you know, he, that's my son's name, Maverick, and he, you know, bangs his head and the world is ending. You know what I mean? He doesn't know any different. He experiences one little piece of pain, and it's like, this is the height of suffering, but it's just he doesn't know any different. That's very different than something I'm going through, but the point is is that God's using these little things, all these little trials, whatever they look like in our life, the trials of life to test us, and that's kind of confusing. I don't really like that. Like, I struggle with that a little bit. Um, Why does suffering exist? And honestly, I think about it more like If we're talking about the church, we face no physical barriers to gathering here. We face the barrier of COVID, yes, but in general, we don't face any, nobody's out there trying to stop us from gathering. Nobody's gonna come in here and break this up. Like we're not facing those trials. But what I think we are facing in increasing measure, and I think should be mentioned as we're talking about suffering, is we don't have physical barriers to following Jesus, but I think the mental barriers are growing ever steadily. Like that's why high school and middle school students It is more normal now to struggle with anxiety than it is to not. Like mental health, a lot of people are like, no, I think we're just more aware of mental health right now. And I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it is we're not facing maybe some of the physical challenges that previous generations have. And so where are the attacks of the enemy coming? They're they're coming on this interior world. So where you feel so isolated that you're like, I can't even get myself out of bed to go to church it's those things. So as we're talking about suffering, whatever that means for you, think about context. If you're sitting there and you're like I've had a pretty easy life. Okay, you're you're thinking about suffering probably in a healthy way. You've gone through a few things, but you're you're kind of moving past those. But just know like it is promised in scripture. All throughout, we use, there's, a, there's a principle that talks about like we use scripture to interpret scripture. So if this was the only passage in scripture that talked about suffering, we'd wanna get into like the nitty gritty of what the situation that Peter's talking about is. But across the breadth of scripture, the gospels, Paul's writings, Peter's writings, there is promise for Christians post-Jesus to face suffering. Jesus said, if the world hated me, they're gonna hate you. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. Again and again and again, we see suffering and challenging promise to us and that's tough. Like, I'm sitting here looking at all of you, and you're like, oh, I chose today to come to listen to the youth pastor tell me I'm going to suffer. I'm really excited about that. But that's the problem, isn't it? Peter literally is facing the same problem that we're all facing right now. He says, he says to the early church, don't be surprised when you suffer. I started asking some of the people this week just around the office, different people I saw, hey, what's your initial response, like emotionally, when I say to you, you're going to suffer? And the general consensus is kind of a resigned, like, yeah, okay, but like, how do I get through that? Or it's shock, or it's like, really? Okay, can I avoid that? Is there a way to get out of it? Can I control the situation? And so there's this response in us that's like, no, I don't want that. None of us want to be in pain. None of us want to suffer, and we shouldn't want that. But there's this shock that happens that Peter's clearly saying, hey, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be shocked by this. You should not be overcome and surprised when these things happen because they're promised for you. And so I think this this context that we live in, there are so many blessings to being Christians in the United States of America in 2021. So many. Like we have so many opportunities to impact the world around us. The Lord has entrusted that to us, both financial and ability to gather and all of these things. Like those are blessings for the church to use. We've failed miserably in some areas and we've done really well in others. And I think we're getting better. But some of the other problems is like, God has a plan for this context, for the stability that we have in this country, but the enemy also has a plan. And so just if we're looking broad, general sense, what persecution does to the big C church is creates zeal and passion and buy-in from everybody. What comfort does is kind of creates this entitlement, this uh, pursuit of how can this look for me? And honestly, this is one of my favorite things about this church is we as a collective, not just from the stage, not just from staff, but as a collective push against that. But I think this suffering is one of the places where we're most challenged in that because none of us wanna be in pain. None of us wanna be uncomfortable and that's okay. Like There's is, there is a lie that's put out there, especially we can be honest in the Bible Belt. Hey, go to church, do the things, but more importantly, take care of your family, have a nice life, maybe have this lake house, and I'm not coming at you if that is the life that you're trying to live. What I am coming at is that is a lie built on the lie of comfort, not on the lie of value or on the truth of value. The truth of value is that Christ says we are going to go through suffering, but that's okay because he's using it. So what we're gonna get is why is he using this? Like, There's a lot of things that we don't wanna go through I'm willing to bet any of the sufferings that every single person in this room thought about, you're like, I wouldn't want to go through that again, probably, but he's using each of these things. So what I'm trying to do, I'll be completely honest, this is my goal for the, the rest of the time that we have together. I wanna reframe suffering in our collective minds as something that is valuable, that God brings to use in our life and not something to be avoided. So why then, why Why do we suffer? I was reading This is going to be random, so just go with me for a second. I read a couple studies talking about women in labor. Okay, just go with me for a second. We all have in our minds, chemically, a pain threshold. Like there's a point in your mind where if if you are experiencing so much pain, you'll go into shock, you'll pass out, different things like that to where pain is bearable. And that's different for every person. You have different levels of like the nerves in your brain are like, we can experience this much pain, but after that, we're going to have problems. These studies pointed to women in labor, they've done tests that their pain threshold is maybe averages here for this woman. It like almost doubles during labor. And the reason I bring that up is the reason that these studies say that their pain threshold chemically in these women's brains goes up is because they know why they're going through the pain. So it's like pain that we're like, Okay, that's one of the worst pains ever. So shout out to all of you moms and future moms in the room. But literally, when they know why they're going through the pain, their brains, their bodies are like, okay, wait, I can withstand this because I know the purpose of why I'm doing this. And so that's what we got to look for. Peter tells us, we're going to look through it. I'm, I'm honestly going to go straight up verse by verse. So if you want to keep your Bible open and go with me, we're going to say, why, why, Peter, are we going through this? So verse 13, Rejoice in inasmuch you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So that's a little weird. I read that. And honestly, there's some uh, Christian offshoots that believe we should experience some of the physical things that Christ went through. That's not what Peter's saying. What he is getting at though is Christ's mindset of I'm here to glorify the Father and serve the people around me led to some of the sufferings and the challenges that he faced in this world. So just as Christ is promising The world hated me, it's gonna hate you. You're gonna go through trouble, but I'm gonna be with you. Peter's pointing us back to that by saying, rejoice because you're participating in the life that Christ promised you. Not a life of pain, but a life of purpose because we see why the pain happens. Uh, Hebrews talks about for the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross. So Jesus saw the value through the suffering and that's what we're being called into. And so literally, One of the worst, probably psychological, mental experiences in all of eternity is what Christ went through while also physically being crucified, yet for the joy set before him. And so there's something that Peter's pointing us to. He says, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So when Jesus comes back, there's going to be something that happens in us that looks back at every suffering that we went through, the smallest to the biggest ones, and says, that was so worth it. The present sufferings, Paul says, that we're going through are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us when Christ comes back. And so Peter's pointing to, when when Jesus comes back, there's something that's going to be happening in us. and, And we can go straight to verse 14. If you're insulted, see Peter's even like, even if people make fun of you for being a Christian, because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And so These verses point right back to Peter was there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. So let me read some of the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. You don't have to turn there. But he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Peter's tying us straight back to these words of Jesus to say, There is blessing and reward when we follow in the pattern of Christ and the prophets and these people who are pointing to the glory of God. There's something to it, though the world's not going to understand. And the people around you might be like, you're kind of weird. Why are you doing that? Or literally make fun of you. I know many people that I've worked with experience that, specifically in middle school and high school, maybe a little bit less as they become adults. But we will face those kinds of things in this world. And what is our response? Rejoice and be glad because we're following a pattern. We're following, those Hebrews verses are pointing to a great cloud of witnesses. We're following in the pattern of people who have walked the fullness of life on this earth. And it doesn't look fun. It doesn't really look comfortable, but it is valuable. It is the only life that can be called life. And so that's what Peter's drawing us into. We'll keep going with verse 15. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. Okay, kind of weird aside there. Peter's a pretty smart guy, and also the Holy Spirit's helping him write, so he's already preemptively cutting ahead of maybe some of the manipulation or uh, excuses that are going to be made from this passage. If you don't do well on a test because you didn't study, that isn't suffering as a Christian. That's just because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. He's like, hey, if you suffer because you do something dumb, like that's not what I'm talking about. You can't sit there and be like, man, Jesus chose this to happen to do something in me. No, Jesus will use that in your life. But he's like, don't commit crimes and then just pretend that's part of what's happening. And then he uses this really weird word, meddler. Um, I'm going to say this word in Greek because it's a really long word. And I think Peter made it up and it's kind of fun. Alatripiskopos. Turn to your neighbor and say, alatripiskopos. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Everybody's just like, are we speaking in tongues right now? Or No, just kidding. So this word's really weird. Like I said, it's a compound word. It basically means putting yourself in matters that don't concern you. And so it's this really, really broad idea that Peter's trying to get at. But basically, like, be smart, be wise, be tactful. Um, Honestly, us as Christians in the Bible Belt in 2020, 2021, have struggled with this, shall we say, People don't wanna to come to church because they don't feel welcome. That would be us meddling in their affairs because we're not tactful in the way that we present truth. Yes, we need to present truth and we need to be honest about what the Bible says, but that doesn't mean we do it in a way to where they never wanna to talk to us again. We're not, we, don't, we don't fudge or be fake about what the Bible says about the truth, but we're tactful in the way that we interact with people. And so Peter's getting at this idea. He's like, you're gonna be insulted, but don't be insulted by the world because of you being rude to the world. He's like, let, if, if they're going to insult you, it's probably going to be because they don't understand and that's okay. But he's like, don't let it be on you being unwise in the way that you interact with the world. Don't meddle in other people's affairs. Don't, don't be unnecessarily aggressive. So, so whatever that lands for for you, I know what that looks like in my life, but I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit to translate that to y'all because that's a very, very broad idea. It's basically just don't consider it suffering when it's kind of on the way that you're acting. So verse 16, however, all right, back on topic. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And so the reason that I chose that as the title is that is the defining feature of what's happening in this passage. Bearing the name of Christ, later on, this, this book is almost prophetic, they were talking about later on, actually after Peter was killed, the Roman emperors sent out like a memo to all their governors and was like, hey, If somebody admits to being a Christian, they can be charged with death. And I don't know the Latin per se, but the charge was the name of Christ. Like that was the the technical charge that Christians were being charged with later on. And so solely for the name of Christ, carrying the name of Christ on your life, in that context, they were being charged with death. And so when we're talking about suffering this morning, we are suffering as those who bear the name of Christ. Like, this is, this is a family idea, like I said, with this letter, but specifically with this context. We are in the family of God, and so God disciplines his family. And so, you don't have to flip there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from Hebrews 12, just a few verses later from the ones I mentioned earlier. And it's captioned, God disciplines his children. And so he says... Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. As he chastens, he, everyone he chastens, he accepts as his son. Endure hardship, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And then he says later, no discipline seems pleasant at this time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so there is a value to the suffering that we're going through. God allows this suffering in our lives because he sees the value in it. And so that's one of the, the most important things to think about when you think about suffering. Suffering exists in the general wide world. All the suffering, all the pain, all the heartache, all of that exists because of sin. Like in the general suffering exists because sin exists in this world. Suffering exists in the lives of believers, in the lives of Christians, in our lives, because God's using it to purify and refine us. He's using this brokenness that happened in the world because of our mistakes to grow us into the people of God. And so Peter alludes to a bunch of different Old Testament passages here, but I'm going to read a couple just so we get some of the imagery that that Peter's getting at here. Um. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. At Peter and Jesus' time, they were probably reading it in Greek, just because that's what it had been translated to. If you've ever heard the word Septuagint, that's just the name for the Greek Old Testament. So that word fiery ordeal is in a bunch of the prophets' passages. So like I said, we're just going to read a couple here. Zechariah thirteen seven to 3. Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I'll turn my hand against the little ones and the whole land declares the Lord. Two thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one third will be left in it. This third I'll put into the fire. I'll refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. Jesus referenced that. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's what happened when Jesus died. And so then we have all these weird, you know, it's like, okay, wait, two-thirds, one-third. It's this biblical idea throughout the prophets of the remnant, this remnant of people who who are following God in the way that it's meant to be. And so this is pointing us right to the church. Jesus came. And then the church was purified because his disciples scattered. But then the church exploded because of God refining them. And so we get this image of silver and gold being refined. But the most important detail right at the end there, it says, they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. And so we call on the name of Jesus. We bear the name of Jesus. And we start to be refined as God works this suffering in our life. Next verse is Malachi three one through four. I'll send my messenger, John the Baptist, who will prepare prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Jesus, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And so I'm going to guess none of us are silversmiths or anything like that in the room. If you are, I'd love to meet you. I didn't even know that was still a thing. Um, But there's this idea that is prevalent throughout the the writings of the prophets and that Peter's bringing us back to is this idea of purifying precious metals, silver and gold. It's this process where they work them through flames in this really tough process that burns off all these impurities. Are you kind of getting where I'm going here? This is what God does to his house. That's why he says in verse 17, for it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. Judgment against God's household isn't condemnation. Judgment against God's household is purification. He's refining us through what he's doing, and so whatever that is in your life—the trials that haven't come yet, the trials you've already gone through—that that you didn't really understand the purpose why, the trials that you're in right now—that you might know the reason why, and you might not see any reason why. A lot of the times, suffering seems purposeless, but it exists in your life because the one who is in control is allowing this to come on you to endure it. It is a trial of life to purify you. It's working in and through you, and so. This line just kind of captures that idea. Suffering isn't proof of God's absence. It's proof of his purifying presence. A lot of times when we go through suffering, and I know this is true of me and and a lot of the people I talk to, when we're going through suffering, it kind of feels like God's not with us. Kind of feels like he's abandoned us. It kind of feels like, God, why would you let this happen to me? But then those of you who have gone through suffering and kind of leaned into that and been like, God, what are you doing in that? Know that it's in those moments that you feel this closeness with God that you don't when things are going well. That doesn't mean God's not with you when things are going well. We should enjoy those times and be thankful for those. But when suffering is happening, there's this closeness. That still small voice of God is a little louder in us because he's doing something. He's using that in you. He's not abandoning you. He's with you in that. And so we'll go... To the next verse, 17 and 18. Time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So, another set of verses, as Miles has mentioned before, that a lot of times we just would love to blow past because it's uncomfortable. But here's where I have to be really, really, really honest. And I don't do this to, to incite fear, but this is to see the reality of what's happening. I'm responsible to proclaim what this book says. Hell is real. And so we look at those Old Testament, those prophetic writings of judgment's going to begin with God's household and it's purifying us. That judgment then extends outside of God's household. And it's a lot worse. It's not there as judgment of purification. It's, it is judgment of condemnation. And here's the problem. I sit there and I struggled with this and I don't love saying this. And if you're here and you're like, you just said I was welcome here if I don't know Jesus, but now you're telling me there's condemnation. Yes, I have to be honest with that because there's true life available for you here. You don't have to accept it like in this moment, but I would say you owe it to yourself to ask questions and learn about it. But I, I mentioned earlier, suffering is any deviation from God's original design. So if that's what we experience here, Hell is not this just abstract idea. Hell is the opposite of God's original design. Right now we're on this world where here's God's original design. Sin has broken us over here and we have all this suffering and pain. Hell is the absence of God. That's what it is. And so it's in complete opposition to the way that he designed it. And so when we read verses like that, that's what we have to have in mind of hey, he's doing something in us as the church and we can be so thankful for that, but there should be an urgency to us. These these verses are valuable both for the believer and the non-believer. For the believer, it should incite us to urgency because we care for the people who aren't in the family of God. We want them to be in the family of God. And so we should go with urgency. And if you're not in the family of God, if you're like, I don't really know, that should be urgency for you to ask questions. That doesn't mean you have to know all the answers or you have to fully understand everything, but it does mean that you owe it to yourself to start asking things of yourself. So like I said, I don't say that out of uh, inciting fear, but more of we have to be honest with what the scripture teaches, and that should move us to action in one, one form or another. And so do we seek out suffering? No. Even as believers, we don't, we don't relish in pain. We don't try to get into situations where, okay, God's going to test and refine me but what we do have to do is reframe our mindset when suffering comes. It's not just something that we try to get through as fast as we can or we try to control, but instead, as James said, we count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Trials of various kinds means you having the stomach ache or the headache that won't go away. It means the cancer diagnosis or the random death in your family. It means financial instability. God doesn't promise us financial prosperity, but it is kind of jarring in the world that we live when you don't know how you're going to pay for something that you need for your family. You can trust God in those things because he's doing something in you. So I just have two points, two tactics that that Peter gives us for how do we reframe our minds? How do we endure suffering so that we bear the name of Christ so that it does something in us? Suffering is not just something we go through, but something that we endure so that we can look more like Jesus. So Two points, Peter says in verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So point number one, commit your story. Commit your story. And that's a weird word usage, right? But he uses it right there. That's the same word that Jesus used when he was hanging on the cross. And he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I entrust my spirit to you. And so we're singing earlier promises, great is your faithfulness. And so this idea of commit your story, creator is the word that Paul uses, or Peter uses, excuse me, for God in this passage. It's not used too many times as a title for God, but Peter's using it very intentionally here to remind us, hey, he's in control of everything. He built this world. He's in control of this world. He's sustaining this world. So entrust your personal story to the great story that God's writing. From the beginning to the end, from from perfection to brokenness to Jesus creating a way unto eternity when he comes back, we can trust the story that God is writing and into his hands we can entrust our lives. So whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through, you commit that, you entrust that to the God who's in control, to the creator who's over everything. And so point two, persevere in doing good. Suffering's a process. When I was asking people about suffering uh, during the week, a few people brought up, it's this idea of a process. Suffering isn't just something that happens and then it's done and you know why it happened. It's this longer process that you go through. It doesn't just happen in a day most of the time. It's something that happens and it's on your mind and you kind of have to think through. And so what does Peter say? He says, continue to do good. It's such a, a, a simple phrase right at the end there, but but he is commanding us He's commanding the early church. The Holy Spirit's using this in us to command us that we persevere in doing good through the suffering. Suffering doesn't disrupt everything that we're doing in our world. We actually see it as part of the things that God is using us for. So when we see challenges, that's not something that shuts down what we've been seeing God do in our life completely. That's something that we persevere through because we know God's using that for value in our life. And yet the things he's called us to, whether that's serving or teaching or loving or hospitality or all the different ways of serving that were mentioned in the passage from last week, or whatever you feel God has put in your hands to do. We're talking about freshmen and college students coming back. Maybe it is opening your home. Maybe it's serving on a team. Maybe it's being like, how can I get involved with this? Maybe God's put a passion for this thing on your heart and you need to ask a staff person, hey, do we have anything like that? Can I help do things like that? We are the physical image of Christ on this earth. Christ did not walk through life kind of just dreading getting to the cross. He was present in every single moment so that lives were touched every single place he went. We say a lot on our staff, maybe the interruption is the assignment. And so Christ was interrupted a lot and he was pretty okay with that because he knew if he was present in that interruption, that person's life could be changed by him being present. And here's the secret that none of us, we all believe outwardly, but we don't believe interiorly. Interior, that was a weird way of saying that. That same power that Christ impacted people with the Holy Spirit lives in you and me. And so in the same way that Christ stopping and turning and talking to a person can transform that person's life, the same is true of you and me. Every single person in these seats, every person watching online Every person that's going to come into the church today, this month, this year, it is true of them, if you have a relationship with Christ, you are called to impact the world around you. So though you might go th- be going through a hard day, a hard season, a hard year, a hard couple of years, your marriage might be on the rocks, your kids might not be following Jesus, whatever that looks like in your life, persevere in doing good through that pain because that pain does not mean God is absent from your life. He is using you. There's something he's teaching you in that suffering, in that pain, in that struggle to transform the world around you. And so y'all can stand up. The band's going to come up here. I'm just going to close with, with honestly, the most tangible example of this I've seen in my life personally. So I've had, I've had family members pass away generally, you know, a few ones that were kind of out of nowhere, but a few grandparents, you know, who, who were going through a sickness or whatever it is. So, so less jarring, still very challenging because it's, death is not what god designed but the most extended image of suffering that i've seen personally in my life i used to coach swim in virginia where i grew up not buffalo i used to coach swim every summer and i was super close with this little eight eight eight-year-old boy who was awesome literally felt my like my little brother we spent like every like the whole summer together all the time he'd follow me around when i was coaching the older kids practice like that kind of thing and so my freshman year, actually, the spring comes and I get a call from a girl who, I, who I'd coached with in Virginia and she was like, hey, he has a very, very, very rare form of brain cancer. And so I don't, I don't even remember the name of it, but I watched as this very healthy eight-year-old boy over a year and a half, two-year span, struggled and fought with this disease that from the beginning there was like, we have a couple experimental trials that we can go through, but we have no confidence that it's gonna work. And so, you know, his parents would post updates. I'd talk to them. I talked to him on the phone. I visited a couple times. And I slowly watched, you know, his body deteriorating. He was on steroids, so so his face and his body got all bloated. And he's struggling through, you know, at times he struggled with speaking and different things like that. But what I watched in this family, and it blew me away every time, I honestly, this family loved Jesus. And so I expected the parents to just absolutely dominate like in the best way, be really real with everybody about what they were going through, but also show the world that they still had joy and hope because of Jesus. And they did that. But what was most jarring to me is this nine and 10 year old boy as he's going through this. Every time we talked and every time I saw an update from his dad, you know, they had, they had a little website that they would send updates on. He would have a line That he had said to a nurse or a doctor or a family member about how jesus was walking through this with him he was honest he was 10 years old he's like this is uncomfortable i'm scared of dying like these were the conversations that he was having with his parents yet through that through that suffering a 10 year old had this picture of you know what jesus is with me in this and there's value going through this and so, like I said, that's, that's the most tangible image I have of what I'm talking about. But I just want to empower us as we go out today. We can do that. We can't do that by power, by might, but only by the Holy Spirit. You lean into the presence of the Spirit in your life. And I promise you, he's going to start showing you things. Maybe not the whole reason. Maybe not every outcome from suffering. But he is going to show you there's purpose in the pain. And he is using it in our lives. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning thank you that you're with us, that you don't leave us in moments like this. And Father, I pray for the person in the room who, as soon as I started talking about suffering, they were like, are you kidding me? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what this feels like. You don't know how bad this hurts. I feel like I'm the only one. Whatever that is, the person who felt so disconnected because they've been suffering through something. Father, I pray right now that you would fill them with your presence and your peace. You say in your word that you bring peace that passes all understanding. So Father, I pray comfort the hurting in this moment. Empower us as we walk into suffering that Lord, we would see you purifying us and that the world would see you working in us. That there would be something different, that they would see us going through trials and that would spark something in them to ask questions of what is it in you that makes you able to endure that. Father, empower us as we go from here. Thank you for loving us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.